hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Keith McCready, how's it going, man? It's going good. How about you, Joey? You know, it's been a long time since I saw you, and as soon as I started doing these interviews, you were on my short list of people I wanted to talk to. Well, that's well, I guess that's good. Uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to make it happen. Uh, why don't we just start from the beginning, Keith? Why don't you take us through how you got started playing pool? Well, I got started playing pool when I was a kid, but actually, I actually I got started uh, in elementary school. We used to go down to the park and play caroms. And uh, then from Karen's, my dad used to take me to the local pool hall uh, named Lindbergh Family Billiards. And then uh, it started from there. And then uh, I used to play my brothers. I started, you know, getting better. And I was always pretty small. So I had to stand on a box and spots to get started. But I always had an eye for the game. And and then uh, uh, I started playing my brothers, 25 cents on the five, 50 cents on the nine. And and it, I guess it sort of started from there. And then my dad kept taking me to the pool hall. And, uh, and then I started getting better and started getting better. And by the time I was like 14, 15 years old, I was sort of right underneath the champions over there in uh, Bellflower uh, playing with all the greats back then. And uh, uh, that's sort of more more or less how it all started. So do you think because you started at such a young age, that's how you developed that somewhat sidearm stroke that you have? I probably got the sidearm stroke from being smaller, you know, and not being able to reach the table and stuff like that. Uh, It was always a problem, you know, reaching the table. So I'm sure that that's where the sidearm came from. You talked about by the time you were like 14, you felt like you could kind of beat anyone. What was the moment that you kind of well, realized? I couldn't beat anybody, anyone at 14, but I could play. You I could was play. starting to get good. Okay. And I, and I played snooker with, uh, we used to call play a game called uh, 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 pay ball or pink ball. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of great players in the game back then. Ronnie Allen, Richie Florence, uh, Wade Crane, uh, uh, Larry Lascotti, uh, One-Eyed Tony. Uh, there was uh, Eddie Burton, Cole Dixon. Uh, I could go right on down the line. Uh, Boston Shorty, Boston Shorty played a little bit in the game. Uh, Siegel tried it. He couldn't. He didn't last long. A couple other guys, you know, just all the great players back then, uh, you know, uh, played, you know, that game. And and plus we played partner games once in a while, partner one pocket. And, you know, I was like 15 at the time. And, uh, it was just it was just something to really just be able to go down to the pool room in Bellflower and see all these great players. And it was, you know, everybody smoking cigarettes. I mean it, it was the epitome of a pool room for sure. Yeah. I mean <laughs> you you probably you know, I I have to I have to believe it would it would probably go down as the best pool room that I've ever been in as far as an abundance of players and and everybody back then would gamble. And like today, it's, you know, it's a little bit different than what it was back then. Yeah. And I want to get into that because you're, you're kind of, I think, known throughout your career more as a gambler slash road player. Yeah. I mean, there would a be a lot of tournaments. Player. Yeah. There would be a lot of tournaments, you know, that 
would you would sort of play position on as far as if there wasn't any gambling or not much gambling going to be there, you probably wouldn't go to that tournament where where if you would go to other tournaments, you'd have people that would be, you know, gamble and and you, you know, if you didn't do well in the tournaments was a crapshoot anyways. Uh, you know, you could win some money gambling, you know, and playing for money. And, you know, back then, you know, there was a lot of ways to make money. The pool wasn't just the only thing. You, you know, I played golf. I played baseball. <laughs> there was a lot of things, uh, gin rummy, uh, a lot of things, lagging coins, everything. I sort of did a lot of things to make money besides pool, but pool was just a pool I did a little bit better. You know, beside, but I was real good in other in other activities myself. So pool wasn't just the only thing that I could make money at. You know, now something just came together for me in my memory when I used to play against you and see you at events, uh, gin rummy, because you would always say, you know, like gin or gin did or you know something like that, and, and gin, it just yeah. bring yeah, it just brings it's back that memory. That, uh, uh, that yeah, it's you know some. I got I Larry Lascotti used to always say that, you know, and I sort of, you know, copied him from that, you know, and I, you know, there was other pool players that would say it too, you know, as far as that yeah. would go. It was an expression, you know, that, you know, pool players would use as a, uh, you know, just, you know, like Cole used, you when we were in the game, he. He'd always he'd say something like "Dab it, Jones," and <laughs> that was that that got to be an expression or a a thing that uh, people would say in the game, and uh, just people picked up a lot of things from other people back then, and uh, it just you know, Denny Searcy was another one that was a great snooker player back then. He played in the games too. And, he did well. Me, I think the ones that did the best in the games were me, uh, Larry Lascotti, and uh, Danny. Yeah. Everybody else sort of checked up a little short, but. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, Keith, to know. Um, there had to be a time where everybody outside of your circle, kind of, took notice as to you being a really great player. You know, like well, they, maybe some tournament or event, and they people knew they. Up. There was a lot of people that knew that I was going to be a good one. You know, there was a lot of people that said, you know, pound for pound, age for age, uh, that I was probably, you know, one of the best younger players that ever played the game. You know, now they got these other guys. You know, there's Joshua Filler and uh, a couple of these other guys uh, that. Uh, which we call the guy winning all the money now, uh, Fedor, uh, Fedor Gorst or whatever his name yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, both them guys, you know, they both shoot straight and, you know, I, I like the way they play. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, maybe I, I would maybe do a little different with the cue ball in certain situations. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, doing what they do, you know, it's, I sort of did it myself, you know, so. Yeah. And, and, well, I'm really know, curious. Cool. Sorry to cut you off, Keith. I'm, yeah. I'm really curious, though, how you feel that you, yourself and some of your counterparts back in the day would have fared against a Josh Filler or a Fedor Gorse. Do you think that the talent has increased? Do you think that the equipment has made a difference or uh, do you feel like well, you'd have, you know, they'd the have rules, a hard time with you? The okay. rules uh, definitely uh, has turned, turned around some players. You know, it definitely did me. Uh, you know, when Larry Hubbard and Terry Bell came into the picture in 81 and 80, 1981, you know, they were trying to figure out a way to where, you know, weaker players had a chance. And what they did is they took the one foul shot 
the two two shot rollout rule, and they discarded that, and, and then they brought in these red circle cue balls, red dot cue balls, and uh, uh, it changed it sort of cha it changed the game completely. My game went down about the seven ball, and that was in 1981 and 82. So I didn't even really care about playing anymore, to be honest, you know, because there was a lot of things that uh, was taken away from somebody that uh, would, you know, try to shoot their way out of situations. And, you know, as far as kicking and all that, it's okay to kick, uh, you know, if you roll out for it. You know, uh, I don't, there's, you know, there's a little bit more luck involved, you know, and some people get rewarded for luck. Yeah. Well, I've never, ever been a real lucky player, uh, but. Well, there was this one time against me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which, by the way, oh, I mean, I'm sure somewhere along the line, you know, I've gotten lucky myself in certain situations and, you know, but I don't want to win like that to be, you know, realistic yeah. about things. I'd rather just shoot down my opponent down and, you know, and make him know that I was present yeah. instead of, you know, I mean, when, if you look out, uh, you know, say 10-10 or something, you, you know, there's a lot of things happen, you know, on those hill games that people get lucky. And uh, I've lost a lot of them. I've surely lost a lot more than I've ever won, you know, as far as being lucky. Uh, but, and, you know, and the shark is inevitable too. You know, there's, <laughs> there's players out there, especially back in our day, there was a lot of players that would use those shark tech, uh, techniques, and 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 I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, if it, given the situation, I know if I chirped a little bit in certain areas where, where I thought it was proper, I'm not going to I'm not going to chirp and deliberately uh, talk, try to talk when somebody's shooting. Yeah. But you know, there's certain things that would hit the air. You know that you know might be uh, people might see it a a little, uh, you know, maybe out of line or, or whatever, but that's all in the heat of the battle. It's not, it's got yeah. nothing to do with anybody else, you know, uh, in the game, but me and him. And, and, and a lot of times I played for the crowd anyways, you know, I was sort of that way. I, I played for crowd and I played for money. And, and that was, that was more or less it for me. I didn't, you know, and you know, and if I was get if I was having to get safety in a game or or my backers, I would play for my backers. Yeah. But you know, it's there's a lot of things that you know I could ramble on about. You know, certain in certain areas about uh, certain things that happen in pool games, but well, it goes on with time. People, let me let me expand on one thing you said, Keith, because. Uh, you know, we all have through the course of playing pool in our life, we all have like little stories that pop up. And, you know, this is a story I cherish. And I tell a lot of people this story and you probably don't remember it. Okay. But I ended up going to Turning Stone with Mike Davis. It was my first time ever playing in like a big I event like that. Stone. Yeah. And so used to anyways, yeah. at the time I was living in Chevy Chase, Maryland, you and I live like two miles apart and we were seeing each other on Thursday nights and silver right. spring and and Wednesday ball. nights in orange ball. Yeah. All right. over the place. And so I go all the way up there. I have this awesome story about how I beat Mike Davis in a practice round on the way up there to pay for half the hotel because he was too cheap to want to stay at the <laughs> casino. But anyway, we yeah. get up there and I look at the draw and guess who I draw in the first round. Mike Davis. Keith McCready. Oh, you're doing Remember this. See, I knew you wouldn't remember, and this is why. We remember our losses. We don't remember our victories, okay? You and beat me. No, I did not beat you, oh, okay. but I was beating you like a lot, like six oh. to one or something, and I was playing some of the best pool ever. I felt totally comfortable, and all of a sudden, the crowd started coming around. Like, who is this kid about to beat Keith McCready? Yeah. And it's like you got a burst of energy inside. And I mean, 
and yeah. you know, at the time you weren't a spring chicken, you know, but you got this burst of energy. You started flying around a table. And I mean, from six to one or six to two, I don't think I got two looks at a ball from there and you won 11 to six. Maybe, I don't know if you remember that. Apple, maybe my apple martini kicked in. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, something kicked in and yeah. it was that energy. I think from the fans, the energy that you had going around the table, talk to us about that because I don't, I'd never interpreted that as sharking in any way. It's just what I thought motivated you when you could interact with the fans and get them it's, into it's it. It's like oh. you said, it's energy. You know, when you start, when you start raising up on your, your, you know, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of players know it, but you know, sometimes you'll get a little, I guess it's called a little spring in your step and you'll start getting on your five toes up front and you'll start raising, you'll start raising your feet in that way. And, and you'll start, uh, you know, a certain song will come on and get you a little motivated. And, you know, there's certain little things that, you know, sometimes happens uh, to get you, to get you going. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, uh, something happened, you know, I mean, I've been down, I've been down. Uh, it, it's, I mean, I've been down eight to nothing. I was down 10 to nothing one time playing Jimmy Mattia. And what was funny about that, the tournament before that, I was ahead 10 to nothing. And he come back and beat me eleven to ten. Oh. And then the tournament after that is when it reversed, and I beat him eleven to ten. I mean, damnedest thing you ever seen or ever heard of. And you know, in Pretty Boy, you know, he was chirping like a bird. You could just imagine, <laughs> you know, yes, color of money, huh, and all that. And, <laughs> you know, he was he was doing his thing. He was rambling on, but you know, as it turned out, I come back and beat him eleven to ten. But I didn't, you know, I run three and four racks, you know, a couple of times. But, uh, you know, I, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's, you know, momentum is, is a lot in pool. It's just like, you know, a golfer, you know, he gets, you know, he birdies, birdies one, birdies three, makes a good uh, par save on four. Yeah, birdies, birdies the five next holes. If he misses that birdie or par putt, who knows what happened? He might double bogey the next. You know, it's just it's it's the same thing. You know, in pool, you know, pool is a momentum game. There's some people that can take take advantage of momentums, uh, and some people that can play for money. Some people that can't. You know, you know, back then. Uh, you know, you had to, you know, weigh all those things up. And certain, you know, I was playing a real good player. I, I would want to put him on some tight equipment, you know, to, you know, make, you know, I don't want him, I want them shots to where when you got to make real good, you know, hard shots that uh, you pay the price if you hit the ball a little bad. Yeah. You know, and. Well, that, that's one thing I want to ask you about, Keith, because um, not really hitting the ball is bad, but when you're in a situation where it's like go or duck, uh, I noticed that when I started hanging around you a little bit in the D.C. area, that there'd be a lot of situations where I think most, even the top players, most of them might have played safe, but you were always so aggressive. Were you yeah, always well, that way? It was just part of your nature? Yeah, well, I mean, the rules of of playing this one foul ball in hand sort of changed that a little bit, you know. Uh, there was a lot of scenarios where people would uh, have jump shots and uh, bring out these jump cues and, you know, and, and shoot uh, where I wasn't quite as good with these jump cues. I, I Realistically, I thought they should have banned them uh, because I, I figured it, it, it was like a gaff club. Like for a golfer, they finally did that. But I don't think – I think whatever cue you're playing with, uh, you should have to use that cue. Uh, you know, not to take away from the people that makes these jump cues. I have uh, – you know, uh, there's uh, people that make a living with jump cues, so I don't want to say anything bad about the jump cues. I'm just talking about 
at an earlier age when I was uh, uh, playing, it would take away from, you know, when you have the cue ball, say, maybe two inches away from the ball and the and the object ball, say, uh, six, seven inches, eight, eight, nine inches away from that ball, and they just jump over and uh, fire the ball in like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so what good is a perfect safety? It, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, but that's where the rollout should, you know, that they wouldn't even think about shooting that shot uh, uh, if they had to roll out or if they could roll out. You know, there were they get there would be a lot of shots that these people wouldn't shoot if there was rollouts. But but now, you know, people roll out to jumps and all yeah. that, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I think about when we were playing on the Planet Pool Tour, you'd have guys like Mike Davis and Sean Putnam. Those guys were so deadly with that jump cue. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't really a great at jumping the balls. I learned how to do it a little bit. But, you yeah. know, for me, it was like I, I kind of felt a little cheated sometimes. <laughs> like I, I'm sitting there lining up a three-round kick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like I said, you know, it sort of takes a little of the air out of your tires, you know, as far as, uh, you know, being able to – if you can't jump it and they can, I mean, that's a big advantage. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it takes away from definitely your offense for sure, you know, and stuff like that. I, mean, I just, I just wish they'd go back to the old, old fashioned rules myself, but I, you would see, you know, people, you know, I'd love to see F Joshua filler roll out and feeder Gorst roll out and Pagline roll out and, all these guys roll out, you know. That'd be neat to have like one tournament a year that was like, you know, the old rules, you know, yeah, just to kind of see how that. they would do. Brady Matthews tried to have a couple of them like that, you know, Yeah, I believe, and stuff like that. Uh, but I just, I mean, that's the way I grew up and, you know, playing the other rules. And, uh, and like I said, like in 81 and 82, my game went – probably down the seven ball, you know, from really? what it was. And then every once in a while, I'd, you know, you, you, it sounds weird, but I would catch a flashback, you know, but, uh, and then play real good for a lot of hours, you know, but. I was there for a few of those flashbacks. <laughs> I saw <Yeah>. them. <laughs> there were times it looked like nobody in the world could touch you. I mean, you're, you're, right. uh, well, you're I ball mean, plus, pocketing and, plus, yeah. you know, you could, you could take a real good player and roll out with them. And there's certain shots that, you know, that, that you could attempt to make. A lot of times when you shoot a shot, you know, you're, you're trying to play a safety with that shot too. You know, it's just not, it's just not rolling out just to make the ball. Yeah. You there's know, kind of a knack to that, right. Where, you know, right. I, I do it accidentally sometimes where I happen to miss a ball the same type of way a few times and it just happens to get into a safe your, position. Your ball, it's not your really. Ball, your yeah. ball speeds are, you know, if you're, if you're pushing out, say for a cut shot, that, you know, that he's, you know, he's probably not going to take it. Right. You know, and, Sometimes you'll underdo it, or in the cue ball will come two rails or whatever. Uh, but a lot of times you play to overcut them, you know. And 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 if you know, there's a lot you you could you would see if it's a real tough shot and you can't you can't make it, then you give it up. I mean, it's you know. But a lot of times, you know, rolling out isn't to make the ball. It's you put, it's like sort of a chess game from that point. Yeah, you're moving you pawns. Guy, you, yeah. yeah, you put the guy in a situation to where if he goes for that shot and he and he doesn't make it, well, you're going to get out. Yeah. And and vice versa. If he gives you the, if he elects to give you the shot, you you want to be able to try to shoot the shot in a way to where sometimes you're forced to just have to go for it and you know, you, you you bite the bullet if you miss it. You know, especially like if you got a long roll shot and it's the length of the table or or whatever. You know, uh, and uh, a lot of times you'll roll out for that shot and you'll bank it across corner, but you'll play it to the short rail and then have the ball come back in the middle. 
yeah. where it's a free shot. If you if you make the if you make it, you're going to probably win the game because cue ball is going this way and coming back down, and uh, and the, the usually the time when you when you do give up a shot is if you hit the ball bad, double kiss it or whatever, and you know the shot does isn't executed the way it's supposed to. But right, but at least you had the chance to do that. You know, yeah. and, and if you're going to beat yourself, I'd much rather be able to beat myself like that than put having to put myself in a position to where I, I can't. I mean, you, you watch this Jason Shaw and all these guys, they jump these balls like it's like like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, and when they're playing good, it's like they're never yeah, going to miss. Like it's not yeah. fair. You know, <laughs> really. <laughs> well, as soon as I started this podcast, I had so many requests for you. And like I said, you were on my short list and I log on and we're recording this today on St. Patrick's Day. And I come on with the green shirt. My daughter threw these beads around and I'm like, I'm sure I get with a name like Keith McCready. Yeah. He's going to be oh, here with a green, green shirt. Are you okay? You got, okay. We'll let you slide on that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of the things that most people have said when I was talking about getting you on the show is, wow, you got to have him tell some kind of story, you know, some kind of story from the road or something that happened out there that maybe not a lot of people heard about. And I know it's putting you on the spot, but is there anything that you could share that happened out there to you that you might pe think people be interested in hearing? Well, when I, the last time that Jenny wants me to say Minnesota fats, I'll go into that story. We were up there in St. Louis, and I was with a friend of mine, Charlie the Ape, and uh, and uh, this and Minnesota Fats was there. Minnesota Fats was, you know, very sick, uh, but he was coming around a couple events, and and uh, uh, so, anyways, Ronnie Allen, you know, was real good friends with Fats, and. Uh, uh, he got Fats to play me, and this this was going to be Fats's last time that he ever played anybody. And so we started out playing 500 a game, and I was giving him uh, 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 a We were playing one game. We were playing a game of banks and a game of one pocket. I was giving him eight to seven playing one pocket and ten to eight playing banks, and. Uh, and I ended up beating him out of eight thousand, and uh, and that was the last time we played. And he and he gave me four five hundred dollar bills and signed them. And my friend ended up swallowing them. And uh, uh, but that was the last time Minnesota Fats played. Huh. And and then after that he went to Nashville and he died not too long after that. You know because I was in Nashville. Myself, I actually went and saw him in the hospital, and uh, you know, and you know, he was in bad shape, you know, there, but yeah. but that was a fun story. Uh, you'd have to been there to see it, uh, until the part where he died. That was a real yeah, fun story, <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody, you know, but he well, was in that, real bad shape. I mean, it's yeah, you know, I was gonna say, there's a side to you, Keith, like you said, you visited him in the hospital. I think there's a side to you that some people don't know about. And I'll share this story that I don't know if you remember this story, because it just felt so natural to you, I think. Uh, I had, uh, my wife and I, we had took custody of a little girl, and we were basically fostering her. And I went to a pool tournament in Rockville at the Old Champions. And you were there. I want to mm -hmm. say it was a, a chip tournament where we were playing like ring games and I did pretty well that day. And because I did, I was there for a while and you uh, took her, this little girl that I was taking care of mm -hmm. and you for like two hours played pool with her and taught her how to hit balls and taught her how to shoot. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, man, like, I don't know that, that I, I was expecting that. So, I mean, is that, like, was that something that you would do frequently where you'd work with I, some of the younger generation Did that appeal to you? When I saw when I when I when I see the kids, I, there's a special place in my heart for the kids, uh, especially if they're trying to play uh, a tough game like pool, and you know, and when kids look up to you and uh, they sort of uh, uh, you know like like you and you know for who you are and 
And uh, I sort of go out of my way to try to help them, uh, you know, stroking the balls, getting down the balls, and playing with them, cutting up with their parents, and just I've sort of been that, always been that type of guy. It's, I, you know, I like kids and stuff. I've never had any kids myself that I know of. Uh, been a couple knockups, but, uh, <laughs> but well, no I don't, kids. I don't know if you know how long it took me to get her to straighten her arm back up because she kept wanting to shoot like this, Keith. It took a long time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I, I think the sidearm is in. I mean, there's really. And, you know, so we both know Mike Davis pretty well, and he's got that weird stroke where he kind of lifts up and down. And for the, long, for the longest are... time, Mike thought that he was on to something and that it was something that more people should do. And do you feel the same way about the sidearm technique? Well, people that are tall, like Mike and other players that are tall, they always sort of got that, you know, straight up and down type of stroke. Uh uh, Tommy Spencer used to have, you know, stroke a stroke like that. Uh, uh, myself, I've always, I've, you, my chin and uh, my eye, uh, my eyes from uh, the uh, the object ball to the shaft uh, was always better when it was down. You know, not yeah. not up and down like that. Just being down, you know, like this. Yeah. You know, and it's, it comes from, you know, just probably being smaller. You know, uh, people that are bigger and taller, you know, uh, that's, you know, that's just, just the way it is. You know, like Archer, you know, same thing, you know. Yeah. Long legs, you know. Uh, <laughs> Very seldom, very seldom you'll see a, a long-legged guy get bend down, you know, and crouch down and and get into that uh, uh, King Kong or or uh, you know me Jose me and Jose's sort of got that sidearm a little bit King Kong for sure, you know, uh, and you know as far as I don't know a whole, whole bunch of other people that sort of have that sidearm. Ralph Greenleaf had a sidearm stroke like mine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, from when I was a kid, uh, you know, I asked, you know, there was, you know, like Cowboy Jimmy Moore and, you know, and Lasseter and, you know, they, uh, they said that Greenleaf had a stroke like mine, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. But, so uh, a lot of them don't have the sidearm. Yeah. yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you know, I have to talk to you a little bit about the color of money. I know you've done other interviews recently where you've talked about it, but you know, I didn't know who you were when the movie came out, but being a young guy and having a pool table in my basement and my dad, who was a pretty good player, good league player and stuff. You know, I, I remember that movie kind of inspiring me to go down the basement and hit balls, you know, and try to become a good pool player. And your character from that movie, nobody could have convinced me that you were, I mean, I could tell by the way you hit balls, you knew you were a pool player, but like somebody could have said, yeah, this is a world-class actor and I would have believed it. Right. You know, just the way well, you played the part was so well, amazing. I mean, it, was, you know? it was a little nervous. I was nervous. Uh, were you? Yeah, I mean, you might it might not see it on the screen, but you're always once I got the hang of it and used to it, and uh, it was it was different. But you know, my first take, you know, you're always nervous. But the one good thing that you know about that is that you know they they can shoot it again, and that's one thing that the actors know. But all you know, if you're an actor, and you know. A lot of actors want to do their own scenes and do their own parts. And that's why, uh, uh, you know, like with Tom Cruise, um, you know, Tom Cruise would, you, we, we shot 
you know, on one scene, it was 46 takes. And and finally, Mike Siegel came in and, and made that jump shot that you saw in the movie. And Cruz tried it and tried it and tried it. And we tried it and tried it and tried it. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't do it. And, you know, Cruz is very adamant about, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you probably noticed from all his other movies that he likes to do his own scenes and own stunts, yeah. you know, so that's more or less where that came from. But, you know, a take, you know, when you don't have any blow up scenes or whatever, it usually takes 30 to 45 minutes to set back up. That's how long it took, you know, that scene to set back up each time. And, uh, and after 46 takes, you know, Siegel came in and made it the first try and it was over. You know, yeah. and, and everybody, you know, on the set, you know, was relieved, you know, because dang, it was, you know, long were time all, shooting that were, one scene. Were all of your lines scripted or did you go off script at all? When I called him a lucky little prick, that was <laughs> that was me ad-libbing. I uh, like it. <laughs> there was other scenes, a couple other scenes that we shot that didn't get edited and I was ad-libbing, but... I, Martin sort of, you know, let me have the reins as far as, you know, trying to make uh, the scene a little bit more juicier, you know, if it was appropriate, you know, and, you know, and stuff like that. So it was so good, Keith, because, you know, as part of what you want from a movie is you want like the villain you want the audience not to like the villain, right? So I wanted Tom Cruise to beat you so bad, you know? And it's like, right. that's because of what you did. You know, the way you acted that part, I was like, man, I hope he beats this guy because we've all played somebody who's been a little bit cocky and kind of like Grady yeah. Seasons was, you know? And and been the well, top dog and knew they were the top dog, you know? And you just had that air about you in that movie. And it was like, oh, beat him, beat him, Tom, you know? Get him, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who if you had to pick today let's say somebody came to you and said we're going to shoot another color of money like a sequel and we're going to do it with today's generation of players and we want you to help with casting who would you pick for today's Grady seasons who would I pick for today's Grady seasons I'd probably pick I might pick Alex you know uh, because he's a little flamboyant, he's got a little spunk, and he, you know, he can uh, cater to the crowd and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I'd have to think about it, sort of just off the hand, but he would be one of my picks for sure. I mean, if you sat down and, you know, had everybody around, I'm sure that uh, I could put it, put it together and get all the right players for the right parts, you know, but. Uh, I think filler has a little bit of that where he kind of walks around like nobody's going to beat me type of attitude. You know, I could see him doing that. Maybe yeah, if yeah, he, were little... he can back it up too. It's a, see yeah. the, the one good thing about filler. I like about his game. And I said this on the other thing, uh, on the other uh, uh, thing with Gloria. Uh, is that when he strokes through the cue ball, he compresses the cue ball. And what I mean by that is like when I used to play with the big cue ball, I'd compress all my shots. And that's what he reminds me of on a four and a half by nine is the way I played the big cue ball when I was younger. And hmm. it's sort of funny, but, but it's just, you know, I like his game. I, I like his game out of, you know, you know, the people out there today right now, I think, you know. Yeah. Well, Keith, I, you know, I follow uh, Jenny on Facebook. She's always like following the pool action and snooker. She loves snooker. She knows more all about things than I do. Yeah. I, I, I Well, I know she it. probably keeps you up to date with things and has you watch stuff like, hey, there's a big match on today and stuff. But Tell everybody what you're doing when you're, you know, just hanging out now. What what kind of stuff are you into? Well, I mean, well, right now I'm sort of a dog watcher. <laughs> and, 
you know, I've got to, uh, uh, you know, make sure she gets the work done. It's, you know, the dog, he's spoiled. And, uh, and so I've got to make sure that, that, you know, she's able to get the jobs out. And I do my little online stuff. I, you know, have a, you know, play a little poker and um, bet a little game here or there when I, when I can. I bet you do pretty uh, well. <laughs> and, and, and I've got my new line of cues that uh, uh, were uh, uh, coming out with me, me and Gary Langley. Yeah. Langley custom cues. There's, we had eight of them and they all sold out immediately. Really? And, yeah. And, you know, we're on the verge of making some more and hopefully we'll get some done by uh, April, May or somewhere in that, you know, we'll have, I think, uh, uh, 11 more out. In, oh, wow. In a little different design than this last one. And, but everybody that's gotten, that has gotten these cues so far, they all really like the cues a lot. They're, and they're all, they're made to my specs. They're, you know, they're not specs that, you know, you buy a cue stick and, there might not be no guts in it, you know, and yeah. you could be paying a lot of money for a cue stick. And if it doesn't have that forward balance and the, that real good hit on it, it's not worth it, you know. So I sort of, Gary came over here and, you know, I showed him these. I had a couple of cues here that I still have and I showed him what I like in a cue stick and, how I think Q should be balanced, and and I like skinny butts. You know, some people that are bigger, have bigger hands, fatter hands. You know, probably like a little fatter butt. But all my all all these cues were sort of made skinnier. You know, skinnier butts, forward balance, uh, and they're all you know, nineteen and a half to twenty and a half to twenty. One and a half. So, well, I tell you, it sounds like the focus is on a good hitting cue, but Definitely. they're really they're really nice looking too. I I was talking with Gary I, even before I you. Can't and I, the, I can't let the cue go out unless it hits unless it's it's got my specs on it. I just can't do it. I can't. Like uh, as far as uh, you know, just not having that forward weight. I think forward weight in every cue stick and every and every every player should have forward balance in their cue sticks and and i'm pretty sure if you ask a lot of players a lot of them do you know yeah probably do have that you know you know now snooker might be a little different animal because you know those cues that they play with like i could never make a ball with those you know but, <laughs> well but, keith you know um i don't know if you noticed the uh logo in the top corner but recently i got affiliated with a company called one pkt and What's it called? One PKT. It's really one pocket. Is is the uh, was the that the one Scott Frost was involved with? Yeah, and so, I, but part of it for me is a passion for the game because when when yeah. I knew when it, when you and I were back living close to each other, I didn't play the game much at all. I was strictly a rotation player, but I really got to like the game and appreciate the game. In fact, my last interview on Pool Player Podcast was with Tom 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 Worth. Oh yeah, and, I like uh, Tom. Yeah, yeah, and so now we're selling his book on that site and stuff. But uh, oh, okay. uh, I'm going to send you a few shirts, one for you and Jenny. So you guys, uh, you know, just feel free to, to wear them if you like. I'll get your shirt size and stuff and uh, as a thank you All for right. being on. Right. But um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be a part of the One Pocket Hall of Fame. What it means to uh, – at least somebody recognized me. You know, I mean, it's – it's really sad that I'm not in the other Hall of Fame, uh, and I believe it's politics and certain people behind the scenes. But I'm gonna—that's for another day. But uh, I'm really happy that I got recognized for this, and and I have that plaque that was given to me, which means a lot to me. And, and the people that came out to uh, 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 show their, you know, love and their gratitude toward me is 
is, uh, you know, something that I'll keep with me for a long time, you know. How did you get into the game of one pocket? Was it just because of the gambling side and you knew that was a way that you can make another, a lot of money? Another gambling game, yeah. Was, yeah. You know, I didn't play it quite as good as some of the top one pocket players, but, you know, I could, you know, as, as time goes on, you learn more, you know, and you, one pocket's a, you can always, it seems like you can always learn another shot playing one pocket. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's every, every rack is different. There's tons of different ways to play different shots. You know, you know, yeah, I'm not, you, I'm not yeah. high tech on a lot of the things that, you know, I, I know about kicking balls out of the hole and, uh, you know, twisting balls in, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, as far as playing those real good movers, you know, I'd rather not play them, you know. <laughs> I'd rather play a guy that, uh, you know, sort of, you know, wings it like me, you know. Yeah. You know, then then I can probably hang with them, you know. But What's the biggest – What's the biggest one pocket set you ever played? The biggest one pocket set I played. Well, that when we played it, me and Harry Plattis played uh, Rosie. We ended up winning uh, 420000 when it was all said and done. Uh, we started off playing, uh, uh, I think it was like 7000 a man. Uh, and we ended up uh, beating him out of 420000 uh, wow! It was one pocket, and I was giving him a. I gave him a crazy nine ball game, the three, five, seven, nine in the break, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had him five to nothing. We were, we played uh, raced eleven for a hundred hundred thousand. This this is this is after he was stuck though, and then where, he quit that. Where was this, Keith? Uh, where it was, was it? It was in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. And uh, but that's the biggest score I ever made. But but uh, we but I played but the most I ever played for was twenty five twenty five thousand a game. So uh, so but besides that, before that, I mean, there was other games that we bet high and stuff, but not like that, you know. Yeah. So with today, it seems like that there might be somewhat of a resurgence in pool in this country. Uh, it's kind of fragmented. You have different people doing different things. You have Matchroom, you have CSI, you know, uh, a bunch of independent events. Like, what do you think about the state of pool now in the United States uh, compared to your generation? Do you think we're actually on an upswing now, or do you think there's still a lot of work to be done? Well, with all these challenge matches going on and uh, uh, happening and, and, and match room, I have to say, I have to say it's on the upswing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good things happening in the pool. Uh, I wish I was, I wish I could go back in time because I'd definitely be in the mix with a lot of these guys, especially for these, these numbers that they're playing for. I would look, you know, be love to be involved in that. Uh, I wish it was back, you know, back in time that we had things like that, you know, and it should have been like that anyways, you know, where, where, you know, it, it was actually, you know, legal in certain States that people could, could play one another for money. Yeah. You know, or you had, you know, like Kentucky, Tennessee. And, Game of skill. Uh, yeah. Where they, you know, would allow people to play one-on-one -on -one matches for money. Yeah. You know? But back then, I mean, we did it anyways, but uh, they, they didn't, we didn't have a lot of these challenge matches that they're having now, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, it's, they're fun. I don't, I don't watch a lot of them, you know, and if Jenny gets me to, you know, watch, tells me about a game, something like that, you know, I'll, you know, maybe chime in on it. Or if I've got a couple of friends of mine that play in these local tournaments or whatever, and they, and they stream them, you know, I'll go on there and watch them, you know, 
for a little while, you know. But yeah. besides that, um, you know, I mean, myself, I'm, you know, when you're a player, you you want to you, you, you sort of want to play, you know. I got gotcha. you. Yep. You, you know, I'm not much of a watcher. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. I'd much, yeah. I'd much rather be in the combat of things, and uh, and uh, be in the mix some way, you know. But that's another story. One thing I'm noticing is that there's a lot of really young players now, kind of taking this path of getting into pool. In some ways, in a more maybe professional way, they're getting sponsorship earlier. They're playing yeah, tournaments. <laughs> There's a lot of them that are, you know, these people are coming out of the woodwork uh, to promote their products. Yeah. And, uh, which is nice. You know, I don't know how much they give these players to go to these events. You know, I know it's expensive. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what kind of deals they all have, but, you know, I know that the players need a little bit of money to to be able to go yeah you know, to, uh, but it seems like there's you know a lot of them are trying to you know pick a couple of them you know little stars yeah and like that little that little uh, uh eastern girl savannah uh, easton yeah i just savannah. that's who i was thinking of when we started this com this I mean, part of the conversation example i mean she's I mean, I follow her. I mean, I'm a fan of hers. Uh, I follow her, you know, what she does, and what she's talking about. And, you know, she comes from a good family and uh, she loves the game. And that's what it takes. I mean, she's going to, she's going to, she's going to go through her bumps. She's going to, you know, she's going to have heart loss, you know, hard losses, you know, and, and you know, and as far as you know, being able to learn from those hard losses, you know, it, it's a good stepping stone for her to be able to, you know, have all these sponsors wanting to get with her. And you got to perform too, yeah, you know, because pool can be a mean game sometimes. And uh, but she's so well liked. I mean, they'll like her even if she loses. It you know, it's. Yeah. She's good for the sport. Yeah, And, and you know, that's kind of the question. That's where I was going with this is from a guy who's been in the trenches really his whole life and, you know, didn't have those opportunities maybe for sponsorship and stuff like that. Uh, what advice would you give this younger generation now, maybe as a pool player or as, you know, marketing their own brand or whatever it is? Do you have any advice that you could give like this next generation of pool players coming up? Because I know they listen to the show and uh, they probably want to hear it from you. Well, the advice that I would give is it's nice to have a sponsor, you know, but they have to understand that they're not only working for them, that they're working for themselves too. I just wish there was a little bit more, you know, like if, if, like, say you go to the younger generation and uh, you go to like golf and tennis and, you know, you have these, you know, Adidas, Nike and clothing lines and, you know, they all give them a certain amount of money. Pool's not quite like that quite yet, you know, it's, and, uh, and it's a shame It'd be nice to be able to see with all these billions of dollars that uh, Biden's given out. It'd be <laughs> really nice for him to maybe shuck one of those in the pool business. <laughs> there know? went half my audience, Keith. All the Democrats are gone. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's that's what pool needs is, you know, just a couple of two or three guys. Uh, 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 you know, one Musk or, uh, uh, you know, a couple of the other richer people, you know, that would, you know, put up some money for a tour. 
kind of like what Trudeau tried to do, right, with yeah. the IPT. I, they, people are going to say a lot of, you know, they can say what they want to about Kevin Trudeau. I like Kevin Kevin Trudeau. He tried to, he had a vision. The vision was good. Everybody got paid, you know. Yeah. Uh, Nothing wrong with getting paid. I mean, you know, even the people now that are promoting pool tours and stuff, I mean, they're they're working at it. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting paid. It's just the players got to get paid too. Right. But as far as like the, the, the younger people coming up with, with the sponsors and yeah, it's, it's, I never had, a, I don't think any of the pool players, you know, you go back in the seventies and the eighties had, had the sponsors nowadays that the people are coming out with a lot of people from Europe had sponsors, you know, because they seemed like they were, you know, sort of like behind pool and golf and, you know, a little bit more than the United States, and which is a little bit of a shame, you know, but there was, yeah. you know, you go uh, to those Masconi Cups and uh, it seems well, Matchroom's like, got a number of events. Now they have the Premier League pool. Right. Now they yeah, have the Jenny's into the Matchroom stuff. Yeah. I don't really know a whole bunch about uh, the Matchroom, uh, but uh, they're doing, they're doing more. a lot of snooker events, right? Yeah, they've they've been doing snooker, right. and now they're doing more pool. They've gotten their pool up from a few events a year now to seven or eight. I mean, they're doing a lot of good stuff. I've had Emily on the podcast, and we're going to have her on our live show, Dogging It. And, it, I mean, it, people are critical of them in certain areas, but I'm telling you, they're doing a lot for the game. They're doing a lot for the sport. What, natural? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh you know, I, I, I wish them the best. I, I, you know, it's like I said, you know, I wish if, if there were, I wish there would have been a match room, you know, younger when I was in my heydays, you know, but yeah. there wasn't, you know, we had Richie Florence, you know, that put on a $25,000 tournament every other year. And, you know, till that went South, I think that was like a three or four year deal. And then, then they had these other tournaments, you know, where the winners only got like five, six, seven thousand, yeah. and uh, uh, and they didn't have Calcutta's, you know, when when you when you went uh, to like uh, uh, Kentucky or stuff like that for like Rob's Roost in North Carolina and Kentucky at uh, uh, in in Richmond, Kentucky. Uh, they had Calcutta's and stuff too, and which generated a lot of money. Yeah. And those are the ones, you know, that we sort of like, you know, uh, programmed ourselves around where you could get the action. And they have Calcutta cut up and Calcutta's and, and people would come out of the woodwork. I mean, there was only standing room or the standing room only at the Maverick club over there in Richmond, Kentucky. Yeah. One of the, Best tournaments that I enjoyed playing in. Yeah, you uh, snapped a big one off there too, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, and come second in the other one, eleven ten. I beat Earl eleven ten, and the next year I lost at eleven ten. Mm. I mean, was it, it was a did you compete? I mean, did you compete a lot against Earl? I mean, I know I can, I can kind of, yeah, I can kind of see you two being uh, in terms. You know, me and Efren had our battles too. You know, yeah. I played Efren when he was in his prime. You know, yeah. You know, and you learned a lot, and plus played a lot of the Filipinos too that never missed a ball that you don't even know of. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's sad, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, they Keith, stuck in a lot of them on me. You know, mm -hmm. Keith, I, I I really appreciate you. We've been going an hour now, and I really okay. appreciate you taking the time. I want to give you a chance to <laughs> just to share something. That's I see you got to take care of the dog in a minute. I hear him back oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> but give you a chance to really just share anything that's on your mind, anything you want to tell your fans or people out there. And we'll kind of close it out with that. As far as the toughest player, I'm just going to, you know, that's always been a question for me. I'm going to go down with Earl's probably been the toughest player uh, to play uh, that I've ever played against in tournaments and stuff like that. You know, you had your seagulls and stuff. Seagull was always hard to beat too, but it just seems like to me that, Earl was the toughest to beat. And Buddy Hall, as far as respect and 
is being a player. He goes on the top of my list. Earl's toughest to beat uh, in pool tournaments. Back in the 80s, I mean, if you didn't hit Earl with a five, six, or seven, you weren't winning. So uh, it was just one of those things. And, I mean, he won five U.S. Opens in the 80s. So, I mean, that sort of tells you something there. Uh, and, you know, like the, the people nowadays, uh, me and Earl played – me and Earl had a couple barn burners where I swear anybody that was there knows how exciting those matches were. And I probably made the greatest shot that I ever made against playing pool uh, uh, that I've ever made. And I scratched on it and it was ungodly hill hill and I lose it. That's how that's the shot I made to lose an 11 to 10. What what kind of shot was that? What, what was it? Tell us about it. Well, the table was like, the table was like, let's see if I could. No, don't try. Okay. The table was, <laughs> Jenny's, say, just like it's long distance. Okay? okay. I was thumb railed on the back rail. The seven, or the, no, it was a six. I was shooting the six. The six was a little bit off. The, the side rail on the right-hand side, I'd say about uh, uh, maybe two inches, okay. maybe two and a half inches. And the only way that I could get back down on the seven is, and the tables were ringing wet. I mean, so, and I Damn. couldn't bank it. You know, it was just that weird of an angle to where I couldn't bank it. So I had to juice it. And then when the ball, when I make the six, the cue ball's got to, like, stop in mid-motion, get the spin, and then juice up around the two corners. And I make the shot. I hit the ball dead, dead center wicket, and, and I come – Two rails and the ball was all the way back down on the on the there's not even a way to even get back down there like that. And I get and the ball just kept rolling and rolling uh. and rolling and just trinkled in the pocket. Hill hill. That's how I lose it. I mean you hit it too good, Keith. You hit it too yeah, good. Unbelievable. <laughs> Earl 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 will tell you about it. You know, Jeez. But, but I mean there's I don't know. Uh it's I've had, a, there's been a lot of good, you know, times, you know, it's hard to put them all in, in one little, one little thing. Me and, me and Mizrak played a couple uh, barn burners over there in North Carolina one time, races to seven, two out of three, each match went seven, uh, or hill, 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 all three matches, and I ended up winning two out of three. I mean, it's just, it's been a lot of exciting matches, you know. That uh, I made a real good shot playing Danny Medina one time, Hill Hill, uh, that you just don't make, you know. You know, Keith. So I, uh, you know, I kind of gave you a chance to like lead us out, but you want to keep talking, which is awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, so, okay. I no, it's okay. I, I, it made me think of something uh, okay. that I want to ask you. Uh, if you had to do it all over again. Would you have chosen pool? Do you have any regrets? Would I have chosen pool? Uh, if if I could, if I could have been a professional golfer or a professional baseball player, I probably would have went that way. But at that time, I played better pool, so I wouldn't change anything, you know. And I wouldn't take away anything that I've ever done in my life either. Right. Would not do it, you know. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. There's been things that maybe I could have done a little better, but you know what? I, I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, for anything that I've ever done, I'm not going to uh, be mad, be sad, or whatever. You know, I've had a good ride so far, and uh, and uh, and and I'm lucky I met Jenny. I probably don't know if I would be here right now if I didn't meet her, and so I'm real lucky in that department. And, 
she probably saved my life and uh and uh and and now that i don't drink and i don't smoke it's been nine years for smoking and it's been uh 17 to 18 years with no drinking and drugs i mean i slipped a couple times on uh, a couple beers here or there but uh besides that besides that uh you know uh no drugs though not i haven't done a drug in say 18 years so that's pretty good yeah well and i see the pictures of you walking the dogs through rock creek yeah Park. and i would and i would love it's to be a good life now you know i'm I mean? very happy for you and i'm also very happy that our paths crossed you know 18 years ago or whenever they did and right. that you you were able to come on here today and share this little bit of history with people and this will live yeah. on on youtube for however long you know okay. and so feel free to share it with people and and uh i think you're going to be pretty happy with it i'm very okay. happy with it and i really appreciate your time and and thanks to jenny for putting this together uh i think it was great thank okay. you Keith. all right joey well okay thanks for having me and i'll talk with you later okay thank you